Entrepreneurs often have similar characteristics. Energy, passion, vision. But why do some soar to success while others struggle to climb? Less than 2% of women-owned businesses in North America ever achieve a million dollars a year in annual revenue. Why is that? And how do we dramatically increase that number? Welcome to Breakthrough with your host, Sarah Roach-Lewis. Sarah offers conversations with the ambitious women entrepreneurs in that 2% to help you break through. Now, here is Sarah Roach-Lewis. Well, hello, ambitious one. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Breakthrough. Perhaps you have a bold ambition or an emerging desire to hit the million-dollar mark and beyond in your business. You may be well on your way or just starting out. Regardless, this show is for you. Today, I want to welcome Jennifer Ridgway to the show. Jennifer is the founder of Moonsnail Soapworks and the Luna Eclectic Emporium. Jennifer and the Moonsnail team manufacture natural soap, herbal skincare, and over 60 unique body products from her retail outlet and production studio. They sell those wholesale and through an online shop. So no matter where you are in the world, when you're done listening, and if you want some uh, Moonsnail products, you can get them. Her other business, Luna, is one of my favorite shops. Eclectic is a great descriptor. It's a unique assortment of clothing and footwear, books, stationery, home decor, kids stuff, and I am particularly fond of the hat selection. Jennifer also owns and runs Moonsnail Mercantile, which is a seasonal shop that offers the best of the two businesses. Jennifer, welcome to Breakthrough. Thanks, Sarah. It's great to be here. Well, um, I'm just so excited to chat with you and tell me a little bit about this entrepreneurial journey that you've been on. So, you know, when you started out, when you were a little kid, did you, what did you want to be when you grew up? Did you imagine that you were going to be an entrepreneur that runs, you know, three retail shops and a wholesale business and an online shop? No, not at all. I think I... My mother was an artist, a craftsperson growing up, so seeing that, it always seemed like a uh, something that I wanted to do, although I probably didn't think I was going to do it as a living. I think I wanted to be a marine biologist and live in a float house and, you know, live in the bush and maybe have a little studio where I could make beautiful things and venture to town and sell them, but kind of... Um, make my make my living some way some other way and I I kind of tried all those things I kind of lived that life for about five or ten years and uh, when I came back here to PEI that's when I I started I started Moonsnail but I I kind of started it just as a way to live here for a couple of years I always intended I never intended to stay so it's a it's a it's an interesting journey but no definitely not a a plan to um own retail stores. <laughs> okay. So yeah. tell me a little bit about this path then, Jennifer. So you started Moonsnail, you know, in your rural country home. And what happened or, you know, sort of what, what did that look like? And, and we're talking 25 years ago. Um, yeah. So tell me a little bit about those early days. And then we can chat a little bit about, you know, what, what this um, morphing along has, has been like. Yeah, well, I guess in the early days, I moved back here. I've been living in BC for many years, so I moved back. I uh, sort of found myself back here by accident, and I decided to stay for a year or two. And I started the business. Basically, I got a book on natural soap 
soap making at Plovers in Halifax in the you know Christmas two thousand or nineteen ninety five, and thought, oh, what what a great idea! I'll make some Christmas presents for people with these little recipes and kind of beginner's luck. It turns out it's actually really hard and like super, you know, chemistry has to be perfect. But somebody was smiling on me because all of those first batches turned out great. I gave everybody soap for Christmas that year. And literally between Christmas and New Year's, I downtime, and I wrote a whole recipes, a whole, like all these products that I wanted to make. I mean, I'd been making all my own products for many years, so a huge but I uh, came up with a whole, you know, everything, recipes, names for things, before I really knew what I was going to do with it. But back in that day, you just go to the park, and there was, like, empty booths. So I literally could, you know, speak to the farmer's market manager and say, hey, I've got a, I've got a great idea for a business. And he's like, oh, which booth would you like? And showed me, like, three different booths at the farmer's market, which definitely is not the case now. So literally between Christmas and January, I had a whole, I had a, I had a um, set, set up something where I was going to this booth in, in, I think it was like middle of February. So I literally created the whole business in about a four week period and made the product, stocked the booth, got everything, got everything there and just sort of with no real forethought. I didn't overthink it. I just kind of did it. Like, I guess that's the, the joy of being 27 or however old I was. I didn't, I didn't think how I could fail. I was just like, Oh, it'll be cool. And I'll do this for a couple of years and then I'll go back to BC. But it just, it, it just was very successful right from the beginning. And uh, I changed my plan. One of many times that I changed my plan along the way. Yeah. <laughs> So what did that success look like in those early days? Um, you know, when you're, how long did it take, I suppose, is my question, to go from, you know, making soap at home at the farmer's market to going like, wow, there's a market here. And how did you even figure that out? How did you figure out um, what, what that market looked like? I think it was just, I mean, at that time, I, it was it was just me. I did, my brother ended up joining me in the business um, a little while later, maybe a, a year later, and then we both had partners who both joined the business after that. But when it, and, and along the way, I guess because of those things, because suddenly when you have like two people, you need, you know, double the income. So what do we need to do to branch out? So we would, we found a few wholesale customers that wanted to take our product and you know, we divided up the duties between production and all the other sides of the business. And, you know, when we had more time and more energy, both of us, like the business expanded that way. It was very organic. And I mean, basically, I think I got a $2,000 loan from what was Enterprise PEI, I think it was called at the time, which felt like a fortune, you know, <laughs> it was like, wow, $2,000. And I bought, you know, essential oils and raw materials for that. And then and then uh, it was just such an amazing, it was, it was well-timed because I think at that time uh, there wasn't anybody doing what I was doing here in PI. There certainly wasn't anybody making soap or skincare products or, you know, bath salts or anything like that. But there was, people were really, really interested in it. And it, uh, it was a really good fit because, you know, we just do the farmer's market. There's like all of our target market of Prince Edward Island was basically walking through that door in the morning. And, you know, it was a, had lovely conversations with people, started doing special orders. People would ask for things. We would adapt and grow. And I think within 
a couple of years when both of our partners were involved, probably by like 90, 97 or something like that, we, uh, we, um, one of the biggest things that we chose to do, which I'm so glad that I did, which in hindsight was like kind of a ballsy move, but we went to, to, um, to do the one of a kind show in Toronto, which is the biggest retail craft fair in North America. Actually at that time there was over a thousand booths. It was really expensive for a booth, you know, but, and, and it's in Toronto. So we had to, you know, we have make heavy things that are bulky and all had to be traveled up there. And, you know, we both had babies at the time, I think. And, and, uh, you know, but it went, it went really well. And that grew into, well, if we're going to do that, then we need a website that was right at the beginning when, when uh, the online sales were suddenly, you know, became a possibility for another, another type of market, you know, at first maybe we would just give out, handmade little I still have them actually they're adorable little hand-drawn catalogs um, this is before digital kind of thing you know if you wanted something made you'd have to go go to somebody and you know get them to to produce something uh, so we did it all by hand and pass those out at the shows and we'd get you know calls to a toll-free number with 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 orders and as that grew and 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 changed I guess uh, we would get calls from stores to sell things and and at that time, you know, we had a little store out in um, um, right at the crossroads in Caledonia, which was great. And I think we were there for a couple of years. And then we moved to Charlottetown because I think at that time we both had babies. This is myself and my brother and then his partner and my partner. Um, we both had babies. So we we moved to town and, you know, two families suddenly needed we needed to make this work to be enough income to for two families, which, which was crazy, but, but lovely because, you know, we really, we really wanted it. We really wanted it to work, moved to town, opened up the store right, right beside where Moonsnail is now. And, um, we just worked our asses off. Like we just were there with the babies and the jolly jumpers and, you know, doing everything. Like we had no employees. It was just, oh, well, there was four of us. So we were, we were, we didn't really need employees at the time. We just, uh, you know, opened the store, shut the store, did everything, made all the, do all the production and prepare for shows and do everything like that. It was, it was a blast. It was, it was really, it was really fun, but um, it became clear quite early that there really wasn't enough income for two families. So, and they were going another way. So it was good. So myself and my husband at the time, we bought them out. And then, you know, in order to do that, we had to kind of like, create some more opportunity for us to be able to continue doing what we were doing and um, have it be, you know, more profitable. Like to go from the beginning, we'd do the farmer's market. And if we had enough money to both take $50 from the till so we could both go to like Sobeys on our way home and get a couple of bags of groceries, we're like, wow, that was amazing. You know, what a day to, you know, having to, uh, yeah, create, create a business that actually, you know, made us an income where we could afford to, you know, buy a house or, you know, pay a mortgage, that kind of thing. Sure. And, and so what did that look like? I mean, I think it's really interesting, Jennifer, that you've taken this business that really started as, um, you know, almost like a hobby, a bit of a side hustle, uh, before I think we used the term side hustle, and and you turned it into a business. So, so. I have so many ways that I want to go. Um, first, my first question, I think, is as you're having, as you were doing this, 
what were some of those things? Like, was it that I, you know, we need to, rather than imagining, what was it that that path, what were some of those decisions that you made along that path um, from, you know, sort of side hustle to turning this into a business um, that allowed you to make money and, you know, buy a house and, and support your family? Well, like we had to really enlarge our market. Like that was a big thing, really. Like when you're selling a product, like, you know, you have to, you have to, I guess it's pretty easy math. You can look and you say, okay, a bar of soap costs a dollar to make and we can sell it wholesale for this and retail for that. Like, you know, all these other products, like it's a, it's a pretty, um, you know, spreadsheetable kind of, kind of uh, thing to do, even though I never, I still don't like spreadsheets, but, um, and that was very at the, at the, at the very beginning of even that kind of thing, which kind of, I find amazing to think about that we've only been, we've only been in spreadsheet world for, I don't know, 15 years. Um, but uh, you could just sit down and figure out, you know, that if we wanted to increase our income, we had to make X amount of product and we had to find a market to sell it. So we really, uh, we started doing that show in Toronto. We started, you know, really working on our mail order business. And part of that, um, we realized early on too, because we're very, very lucky here and that we have, you know, at the time, probably, you know, 750,000 people come here in the summer. And if you can find a way to put your products in front of them and they like it, they will go back to where they're from. And then, and soap is a it's a use it's a use upable kind of uh, you know commodity. So you know they they buy what they think they're going to like, and if they really like it, face cream, you know, bath salts, aromatherapy spritzers, whatever, they will they will um, look for information to try to reach you and reorder it. So right away we started getting as soon as we did the show in Toronto, we'd start to get tons and tons of uh, of mail orders from Toronto. We sold wholesale in Toronto for a little bit, but. Um, Wholesale has always been a bit a bit tricky. I think early on I realized too that that wasn't really the route to go. Not the route that I wanted to go. I really would rather. I really chose to to take the route of um, selling retail and um, our own mail order because when you put a product like ours on somebody else's shelf, you put them their responsibility to to you know make sure that it's fresh and that it looks good. And there'd be times where I would go into stores all like excited to see my stuff there and go, Oh no, you know, every, all the soap looked like it had fallen on the floor and, you know, like, <laughs> and, and I would switch things out and things like that. But then there's your, there's your margins gone right there. So um, I think we realized early on that the best, the best way to do it was just to increase our, uh, our, um, market which meant doing shows so we did shows all over that we'd go to Ottawa and all those places and that in turn would um, increase our um, our return mail order and also places like we always sold to what I consider like the best places on PEI that you could you could wholesale to we've sold to dunes for you know probably out of the 25 years I've been in business we probably sold to the dunes for 23 of those years so very early on um, having our, our stuff there meant that, you know, customers would, um, potential, uh, long-term customers would be, would be, would grow because they would pick it up there and then they would do a couple of mail orders over the winter and then they would come to our shop in town and moving the shop to Charlottetown was a big thing too. Like it was lovely to live out East and, you know, um, 
it was kind of the dream I always had, but having a little baby, making stuff in a, in a very obscure, you know, studio on a crossroads and the, you know, the, the, the corner of Prince Edward Island didn't really, it didn't really um, create enough, you know, uh, the customers that would come through. People would find us, but it was, it was tricky. It was tricky to find us. So we moved the shop to Charlottetown and that was, that was huge. And then a couple of years later, we moved Moonsnail like next door to a much larger location. So like every time and and that was not because we were like, oh, we need a larger location. Let's go and find one. It was like, oh, the people next door are moving out and oh, let's go talk to the landlord. And, you know, that's the place that Moonsnail still is now. I think I moved in there um, in 2000. So I've been there for 20 years. Wow. And, uh, and that's a lot of that is luck, too, because other people would have wanted to do that. But something comes up with the landlord, the building gets sold, the building gets torn down, the rent skyrockets. Like it was a, a, a really great, great part of my success with Moonsnail is that I had a, an, an amazing landlord who just loved having me there and was always very fair. And I'm still there 20 years later. So that, yeah, really speaks to the kind of relationships um, that you can and should and maybe need to have in business where, you know, you're really thinking about other people, whether it is, you know, having that great relationship with your, with your uh, landlord or with your clients or your customers. Um, Jennifer, when you think about that path that you've been on, and I mean, really so different than where you are right now, um, I'd love to talk to you and I'm, I'm just going to take us to break, but I'm going to give you this, this question so you can think about it um when i love to hear a little bit about what that transition from maker to business owner looked like um because i i understand that you don't actually you don't make the soap anymore so i'd love to hear what part of that role you've kept and what and, and what that looked like so it's sarah roach lewis i'm here with jennifer ridgeway and uh, we'll be back in just a minute after the commercial Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to Sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's Sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. It's Sarah Roach Lewis, and I'm here with Jennifer Ridgeway, and we're just talking a little bit before the commercial about what that transition was like for Jennifer from going from maker to, you know, to, to moving to managing different areas of the business. Yeah, it was um, definitely something that had to be done at a certain point. I, I think I, 
I made the products completely. Um, and then, of course, when we had the other people involved, we all divided up, you know, everything um, amongst amongst us. Like um, my my uh, husband and I, we were, we were married for up until 2004, but we stayed partners in the business until 2008. We even shared the same bank account for that whole time. <laughs> so I want to talk about just uh, desiring to make things work and wanting to, uh, to um, just, uh, yeah, separate, you know, what was, what was going on with us outside of like the fact that we own this business together. I mean, we have a child together too. So there was a lot at stake for keeping everything um, very, uh, very, uh, agreeable and 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 happy but we when we moved to the store to charlottetown and uh created um a lot more market for the products i think it was it was hard for me personally to keep up with producing like you know hands-on being the artisan who goes in and i mean so making is very time consuming it's very very um you know, everything has to be exact, measurements, temperatures, everything, weights, you know, like timing, everything it has to be perfect for it to turn out the same way every time, which is obviously what you want. Um, and uh, I found it was really impossible to um, to do that full time and then, you know, take that hat off and suddenly, you know, do all of the other stuff that had to be to, to be done, creative stuff with designing products and and um, finding markets, dealing with, you know, mail orders, um, figuring out stuff for shows, you know, forecasting, all that stuff that had to be, that had to be done. It was too hard. So um, we probably at that point, point um, had employees that started to help us with some of the production. And um, as you kind of walk away with it, I've always been really good at, at being able to let stuff go. I don't, I don't have a big, ego with knowing that you know oh this has to be made by me or done by me like I've always I've always just been happy to just create the framework and I love having um, happy employees who are feel like they have a lot of um, a lot of say in things and a lot of freedom and 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 I've been helped tremendously by all the people who've, mm. who've helped me with production because they all have great ideas they all add to this whole pot of like what you know what 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 we could make and how we should make it and and what things should look like and what they should smell like and I mean we'd have late night parties of blending oils and smelling them and coming up with crazy names and sometimes we wouldn't even use them but it was just really fun we probably like waste three hundred dollars worth of oils just having a blast making like 20 different blends and then never make the products that we had planned to make with that but it was just it's just really fun to do so yeah, so we just um, had to really um, ramp up production um, to do all the shows and everything like that. And then we'd have this, you know, big downtime in the winter, and that's soap making time. So we make all of our soap between like January and the beginning of summer because it takes a while to cure and be ready. So in that downtime, I guess that's another good thing about PEI. You can kind of lament about our long you know, six month winter and downtime, but it does give one a lot of time to really come up with ideas and work on stuff. And there's no pressure to get it done quickly. You can procrastinate the hell out of it and still pull it off by <laughs> April or May. You know, <laughs> the queen of doing that. 
So, yeah, I think, like, you know, we started doing those shows. We started doing spring shows in Toronto, um, working on getting getting our, you know, really good wholesale customers and places. Um, and then as that as that happened, that probably went on until about 2008. And then and then at that time, my um, partner at the time, my ex-husband at the time, who was my business partner, um, he just wanted to go and do something different. So I had to buy him out, which was like a chunk of cash that, you know, like I could give him a chunk and then it was like a chunk every year. And uh, I just, I, I couldn't take my foot off the gas to really, you know, keep the business being very profitable because at that point I had to, I had to pay him back for mm -hmm. all the, all the years that he put in and make it, make it fair, you know, like make it very fair. Um, so at that time, that was when I had to hire a full-time production person because like I, there was no time I would have had to be a full-time production person myself and have, you know, do the stuff at night, you know, after midnight kind of thing. And that was, that was tricky. There was a lot of, um, a lot of uh, worry, I guess, with that, that, that somebody could care as much about it as you did. But all those worries have never, they've never manifested. Like people are care so much. And if you, if you ask people to, you know, care for things and give them a reason to care, like I've always just been so impressed with, you know, how hard people work and how much they, they put into it and how, you know, there it's just, it's been, it's been a wonderful experience with that. It's, 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 it's hard sometimes because I think I still have a bit of negative self-talk about the fact that I, don't make it myself, you know, like, I, I hear, you get, I, I don't know, sometimes people will say something, and they don't mean anything by it, but it's just kind of like, oh, I thought you made, you know, and, and it'll come in mail, like, oh, no, like, I should be, I should be doing it all, you know, I should be, so I think, like, as a mother, you're like, you know, you know, you want to do it all, you don't want to, you know, pass along any of those things plus it was like the part of it I really loved that's why I started the business because I sure. I love making things take that away it's like do I love sitting in my office and you know looking trying to figure out something that you know some complicated thing like you were saying like with CRA or the bank or writing up something it's like no I don't enjoy that at all I wish that I was you know, working in the studio with music playing and, you know, an apron on doing that. But I, I can't to get you give it up. You have to give it up completely. I have to give somebody their job now is completely to, uh, to be the production manager. Sure. And so do you still um, put in, like have input into the creative side of that, of the names and the, this and the sound? Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah. yeah no, it's all. And I, again, like, you know, I would be nothing if I didn't have all of the, the amazing, you know, work and interest and love for the business from the, the people who work for me there because, like, we work together on things and, you know, I wish that I uh, did more of that. I probably, you know, that's one thing that, you know, you, you wish that I had more time and more and, and it just was more um, the creative part of it sometimes is, is a struggle. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, it all it all comes from me, like the framework of it, like the whole brand identity and everything like that. And then everybody, I want people to bring, you know, all their ideas to the table. And it's still great fun to kind of come up with things. And we make samples and pass them around and try them and come up with, you know, adapt the recipes and everything based on feedback. And that's really fun. I would do that every day if I could. But yeah. 
Yeah. So what are the elements of your business that you do every day um, to, you know, to sort of keep this going? So I'm curious about when you think over a 25-year period, what are the things that you, um, that you do differently than when you started out? And what are those things that are tried and true that you do regardless? Um, well, I think... I guess right from the beginning, I wanted I wanted the business to be like something that came from me, you know, like it was this a natural business that you know I love my my desire when I was a kid to like live in a cabin in the bush, like you know I I want to have something that has no harm and no no um, doesn't doesn't uh, just does does good things and helps people. Uh, Moon snail side anyway. Um, I'm not sure much like a funny, awesome hat can help somebody at Luna or a nice pair of shoes, but I guess it does. But with Absolutely. Moon snail, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so right, I guess right from the beginning, I wanted to really approach things just with love and care and openness and and um, doing no harm and being like it's interesting with with a store like you're part of the community like it's an open space like you it's your store you create it. anybody can walk in and and I, I want people to always feel really comfortable and you know like like an easygoing really great kind of thing that they that they feel comfortable in and hmm. I think finding people along the way that really kind of were able to make that happen because it came naturally to them too has been has been a big part of things you know like getting people can you know bring the personalities to work bring themselves to work you know like so that it's a like a, a nice loving space where everybody gets to kind of go through all their shit in their lives you know they don't have to like put a mask on when they come come to work like it's tricky in retail because you know you want you want to offer that but you know, sometimes really what you're going through can't, you can't really bring it to work <laughs> because you're at a public place, you know, you, you can't, you have to kind of put the mask on. It's, it's tricky. So um, I think from, from the beginning, I always really wanted to have that. I wanted, to, I wanted people to be, to, you know, to be happy and, and fulfilled. You know, I hope that I've done a good job in that. I've, I've given a lot of people their first jobs over the years like a lot a lot because that's often where people start in retail right like you know right out of high school and shy and nervous and you know like finding finding ways to pull out you know all of their strengths and get them to you know kind of grow into themselves I've had really great managers along the way who are really good at doing that because they're sort of the front lines of that you know like I'm I'm not there every day now like um I can't be uh, but yeah, so all through the years, I think I've, I've tried to keep that going and kind of foster that sense. Hmm. Um, and so when we look at where you are now, so we've talked a lot about, you know, sort of those early days and, and, uh, where, where you started out and now Jennifer, you are one of less than 2% of women in this country who have achieved seven figures and beyond in their business. Um, so, I mean, first of all, congratulations. We don't always stop to reflect on that. Thanks. And so I'm curious, 
how do you celebrate your wins? What did it feel like when you got to that space, you know, when, when, when you saw that on your spreadsheet um, or in your books for the first time? Yeah. Oh, it felt great. I mean, the, the, it's, it's funny. Cause like w- with that, you know, like sometimes, you know, the sales figure goes up, but then all the costs go up too. So sure. yeah. I don't think I've made any more over the years, even though that, I mean, maybe in the last little bit, things have, have gotten a little bit easier. It's, um, it's, it's been, uh, it's been a struggle, uh, because one thing that people, a lot of people don't talk about, um, like the success of my business happened around 2000, like the real success of that 2008, 2009 at exactly the same time that the banks became impossible to deal with. Like Mm -hmm. literally at the same time that, you know, like a line of, they get offered a line of credit when your sales are like, you know, X, like 300,000 and then your sales could go to 900,000. And like right at that time, there was no, nothing ever changed. I struggled for years with cash flow issues because because um, there was no way to ever increase, like nobody would ever work with me on that because banks hate retail. They hate inventory. They want nothing to do with that. And it's funny. I've been to a lot of like businesses where people talk about the, the challenges and stuff. And people are a little bit nervous to talk about that because it's kind of like maybe it's a bit of a taboo to talk about, you know. But it's, it's, really, it's really challenging. Well, I'm sure that, you know, people who – who reach a point in their business where their sales are higher, obviously all of your expenses grow as well. Like if with a retail business, it's like, you know, something has to be bought in order to be, to be sold, to get a sales figure that goes. So yeah, that's been, it's so when you say celebrating my wins and the joys of that, I think when that happened, it, it felt great, but then it created, it created a problem. Like in the, and the problem was cash flow. The problem was, you know, you want to get really beautiful stuff in February and March to sell and you have to pay for it in 30 days, but we're not getting, we're not getting the sales until, until June or sometimes July. And then it's like, you know, open the floodgates and it feels like, you know, you're like, you know, surfing on rainbows there for a couple of months and then, you know, and then you go back into it. So for many years, that was my life. And I don't really share that a lot, but I think. I'd love to chat with other people who've been through that because it's really, it's, it was really challenging. So what shifted? I, I, you know, I really appreciate you sharing that because I think it's easy to gloss over the hard parts and yet so much of the purpose and reason why I'm doing this um, podcast or radio show is, is to talk, is to help women see their own path in this. So what, shifted for you or has it shifted that some of those challenges of like buying stuff in February that you're not getting paid for until July? Um, yeah. What yeah. does it look like now? Well, it, it has gotten better. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like I, uh, I got some really good advice and I actually switched banks and the banks, the, the bank that I'm using now has like a women's initiative. Um, which I was told, oh, go try, go talk to them. And uh, I had some really great conversations with um, like female bank managers there because there, it's somebody at this bank, a big CEO, started this because um, women are 
well, from her perspective, and I really agree with it, are very honest when they sit down across from somebody in a bank and the guy says, oh, well, you got your sales here and I see your margins are good and you had a great credit rating and yeah, but there's not a lot of liquid cash. Like I was told, you know, like, oh, we need to see more liquid cash in the business. I'm like, geez, well, I had liquid cash. I wouldn't be here <laughs> asking to have my line of credit increased um, because like I would always be very honest, like whereas to generalize potentially men might bullshit a little bit more in that situation. You know, they might sit down and say, Oh yeah, I know last year the spreadsheet doesn't look great, but this year, you know, I've got all this and I got that and they'd go and pump out some document that makes things look really shiny and rosy and a lot of it. But, but I was always more honest, like, yeah, no, I know it's been, you know, I've just, the numbers speak for themselves and uh, it was never really quite enough. I'm not sure. I'm not, it's very interesting. I think about it a lot because I'm not really, int- I'm not really sure um, all the things at play in that, in that relationship, but women often end up um, not getting the types of uh, um, the, the bags, perhaps not the trust or, you know, just, and, and things all just get sent up to Toronto and somebody's, you know, you yeah. did and it's like oh computer says no and it's like there's no you don't have that personal and that all changed in 2008 too you don't go into your bank and speak to a bank manager and they say oh Jennifer oh I know I've seen you around town you've been here for how long have you been doing this wow you know it's not like that it's somebody who doesn't know you just looking at numbers in a page so uh so yeah so anyway um when I uh I called this this bank up and uh they uh it all came through and actually they uh they uh they approved me for a larger line of credit not before though they actually didn't approve me at first it's hilarious and sent me an email that said that um that perhaps if my husband would want to you know supply his his um you know financial information and i was just like wow but actually i think that went right up to head office and and uh Immediately after that, it was kind of like, oh, that wasn't supposed to happen. But there's an example of how maybe things reverted back to a way that things were looked at before. And then, you know, like when they realized like exactly what they were doing, which was, well, we're looking at this person's business. And and a lot of women, too, run retail businesses. They run businesses that are like in-home businesses, you know, consulting or childcare, things that... They, you know, like they either don't want your inventory or you don't have an inventory. You don't have like a big, you know, uh, something that the bank can can sell, a big asset or something like that that makes them feel safe because of those massive changes that occurred mm-hmm. um, because of, well, because of the implosion of the banks in the States in, the, in, in 2007. So, um, so it's very interesting. So from that, like I switched banks and I it's nothing like I would have had with the exact same business 15 years ago, I would have had a larger line of credit. Um, and anybody who's been in business for a long time, but like a really long time still is carrying those old line of lines of credit, but new businesses now, like if you go to the bank and you've got a great idea and you're forget it, like unless you have, you know, a, a mortgage free house that you can put on the line or something like that. And that's a real, it's a real tough thing for uh for new businesses starting out you know like and it was a tough thing for me to to grow because of that yeah exactly on that note jennifer we're gonna go to commercial and we'll be right back
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Are you ready to grow your business to the next level? Check out SRL Solutions for more information on training, coaching, and lots of resources for building your business sustainably and profitably. As a partner who helps you strategize and plan, Sarah Roach-Lewis helps you turn your vision into reality. She helps you identify the right area of focus at the right time. Visit srl.solutions to find out more and for a free consultation. That's srl.solutions. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Breakthrough with Sarah Roach-Lewis. To reach Sarah or her guest on today's program, please send an email to sarah at srl.solutions. Again, that's sarah at srl.solutions. Now, back to this week's episode of Breakthrough. Welcome back to Breakthrough. And uh, Jennifer, one of the things that we had talked about um, before is when we started having this conversation about hopping on the show is, um, you know, you really identify as an introvert. So tell me what it's like um, on that path of business ownership paired or married with feeling fairly introverted. Yeah, I'm an ultra introvert. I, uh, I, it's, um, it's interesting. I think it's like, there's, there's definitely pros and cons to it. Like the, the cons are obvious. Like, I feel like sometimes owning retail stores is like you, you hoist a flag, you know, in the downtown with your face on it. And there's just nothing that gives me like, ugh, like chest pain more than that. Like I really, I don't like it. I, I, uh, I really enjoy anonymity and obscurity. I don't, I don't, I, I have great friends and I'm close with people, but like in the big, like as a introvert, you know, like we're not shy, but I just, uh, I keep my cards close, close to my chest, I guess, but uh, you can't be like that when you own a retail store. Like I said, like it's a living room for, for the community. Like anybody can come in. They don't even have to like take their boots off. They're just, they're in, they can ask you any question. And, and right from the beginning, that's, that never felt like a struggle day to day in the stores. Um, It was more the outside of that, like even to be honest, like this kind of thing, like being asked to be, you know, uh, like speak about your, your, yourself. Like it's, it, I, I struggle with that. Um, it doesn't come easy. That's for sure. Uh, but I guess like a real positive in it is because of that, I think I have really um, created a business with lots of people who work for me, who get, who people think that they're the owner of the business when they come into the store. And I love that. I don't mind that at all. So I, maybe somebody who wasn't like me um, might um, be kind of hurt by that or like, well, why would they think that, you know, you own the store? Didn't they see me here? Don't they know that I am? Whereas I'm just happy to like, wow, that's great. You know, like social media like has been, it's a challenge because I'm not a big social media person personally at all. Um, but I've, I understood from the beginning that this is an amazing tool for, you know, 
your identity of your brand and your products and connecting with your customers and reaching people and communicating with them. It's been amazing. So, you know, I give that all over to um, people who, who love it and enjoy it. And I don't need to be the face of that. Like you'll never see a picture of me wearing, you know, like something at Luna, like showing, like, it's funny. They laugh. They're like, do you want to be in this? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm happy. If you want to, if you want to do it, that's great. Like, but you know, I don't know whether I, 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 I feel comfortable in that in myself, but I think also it's caused me some, you know, some issues for sure. Like I, I don't, I don't, I question myself in that because you know, it's, it's not, necessarily what most people are like in my industry where they really enjoy being the face of things and that's part mm -hmm. of their identity whereas for me my identity is separate from my business it's in my life and with my friends and my family and what mm -hmm. I do outside um, and there's always been a bit of a struggle with that I'm not I'm not really sure I, I still I, I pondered I think about it a lot and uh, I uh, as the years passed I think I become have more ease with it but it still it still pops up definitely. Yeah. So Jennifer, what advice do you have thinking about, you know, you have managed um, to find your path in retail to, to do this, uh, you know, going from the maker to the retail, feeling very uh, uh, introverted. What advice do you have for women who are perhaps a little bit earlier on their path than you are and want to achieve some of this success? Well, I guess it's, I mean, the obvious, be honest, be yourself. Don't, don't try to change yourself for what you think you have to be for a business. If you're going to make it work, it has to be natural and has to come from yourself. So if you're like me and you're a big introvert, then you're not, you're not going to feel comfortable, you know, with a blog perhaps about, you know, with pictures of yourself snowshoeing and, you know, pictures of you at home using your, your products. Like it, it's not going it, to, it's going to, it's going to feel like you're overexposing yourself and that will feel, feel um, challenging, you know, and it's not going to get better with time, you know, because we don't really change. We are who we are. So if, if it's something that feels good for you, then do it. But if it doesn't, then, then, you know, empower somebody else to, to take the reins on it. You know, like, I think that's, that's a that's important to to know what you're good at and know what you're not good at. I I know what I'm I know what I'm good at and I know what I suck at. So I don't I don't try to do that, you know, but I I, I try to find people and give them a good a good you know like empowered position to to do that for me. And I think that's been that's been very it's been very successful and I put a lot of the success of my business on the people who've helped me along the way. And that's, that's, uh, it's, it's hard to know when to start to do that because sometimes you just can't afford it in the beginning. You can't afford to go out and hire a social media manager if it's just you and your business and you're like, wow, like I don't even make, you know, three or 400 bucks a month. How could I afford to pay somebody else that amount to run my social media? So, you know, like, Maybe you have to extend yourself out in the beginning, 
but because it, it's it's tricky like because if you reach a point where whatever you want to call it burnout or you know you just you, you don't get to take a break you know especially with a business that has have doors that need to be opened every day you don't get to just be like I'm tuning out for two months because I've hit a wall you don't you have to you have to still show up your employees don't want to hear that things were hard for you and that, you know, oh, your line of credit isn't getting increased. Nobody wants to know that, you know. Um, you have to find people to talk to about that, but it can't be your staff. I mean, I think we've all had that horrible boss that just bitched and complained about how hard everything was and, you know, just made everybody feel really uncomfortable. So, uh, yeah. Don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> and really on that, you have seven core staff, but you go up to like 22 in the summertime. Yes. So, you know, what are some of the challenges that you face as we start to wrap up in that kind of ebb and flow of, you know, a business that, 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 that has that much change in the run of a year? Yeah, it's tricky. It's it's hard to keep really good people sometimes in seasonal jobs. Like, you know, like I think, you know, it's it's great. I can have, you know, my say two or three people at Luna that are full-time permanent and a couple of people at Moonsnail. But right now, Moonsnail's down to like my manager and my production manager and they basically just need somebody for Saturdays. So it's, it's challenging to find, um, you, you have somebody good, you know, they're going to have to go and find another full-time job. And, you know, it's, it's, it's tricky here. It's again, it's like, that long, long seasonal, slow, slow season part of, of what we, uh, what makes, what makes this island so unique. Mm. But uh, yeah, it is tricky. It's tricky. And, and for you, how do you manage your own sort of the balance or the harmony? And like you say, that you can't stop, you can't close the doors. So how have you been able to marry that sort of work and life harmony blend I don't really like balance <laughs> yeah yeah it's overused um yeah I probably had a like a burned out you know 15 years ago but what do you what do you do you know you just got to keep going you can't you can't stop um you, you know there's you just uh I think I again maybe another thing about being an introvert is that my life my personal life is it has a nice little little cushion around it you know it's not it's not my work you know I'm I have you know we just I just recently moved to the country and you know it's like uh feel like finally I'm getting I, I couldn't do that for many years because I just felt like I needed to be in town like lots of reasons you know son in school and that kind of thing but uh I uh I think it's really important to to know where you need to just back away from things, you know, just let, let things run and go. It's in it's in the perfection. Like we have this sense like of wanting things to be perfect all the time. It's always such a struggle. Like you can do anything at home now, like your computer is sitting there, your phone, like I could do all of my work. I'm sitting in my office now, but I could do all of the work at home. I just sometimes have to grab something from here to take home and I could spend three days working at home, but it means that, you know, you're never really able to separate, mm. you know, you know it's, maybe back in the day you'd be like, Oh, I'm home. I can't do anything because it's all at the office. Now we bring our offices home with us and our computers. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've gotten really good at that of, of being able to, um, really, uh, create, uh, a separation and really 
have more of the focus on my life than on my business. Like my life is more important than my business. Like every day, you know, my, how I feel and sure I might be burned out about certain things, but like I don't let it affect my, my other parts of my life. Like it might affect my ability to get things done in my business sometimes because you get bogged down and things you're not, you don't feel like you're, you're progressing at the at the speed that you thought you should, you know, but then I, I think I can go home and kind of hopefully let that go and, and uh, to greater and lesser degrees, to greater, greater or lesser um, um, success with that for sure. I think that's, that's a challenge of any, of anybody with a business now. It's, uh, you run it. So, you know, how the success and failure of it is, is based almost completely on, how hard you're working and especially as women we're like well if I just worked harder I'd but you can't you can't do it all you can't do it all and you can't you can't achieve it all in you know you just have to kind of set the path in front of you and and uh, you know click away click away at, at things and you know ignore the piles I'm sure. surrounded by piles here right now <laughs> Jennifer, thank you so much for your honesty and your wisdom and stepping super far outside of your comfort zone. I really appreciate it. Thank you. In the meantime, before I wrap up today, I just want to have a little chat with you about where you're at in your business right now. So we're getting close to the end of January 2020. And, you know, many of us have been really looking toward that. What is the vision for this year? Even what is the vision for the next decade? When we look at 2020, it's really exciting to see a whole new decade out in front of us. And really, I believe, as many do, that this is the decade for women in business. We have slayed a lot of dragons to get here. There's a whole lot of work that's left to be done. And yet, it really is a wonderful time to be a woman in business and making the kinds of decisions that we can make to really grow our business. So I know that you've been thinking about that, you know, what does the next decade look like? What is the vision for the next year? And so now it's how are we going to get there? So I want to talk to you a little bit about um, why I believe that the most important thing that you can do for your business is have radical focus. So distraction is everywhere. There's emails, uh, you know, staff, family, social media, and it is exhausting you and distracting you from your business. You need, you have the passion and the vision. Now it's really getting focused on what is the plan. So what I have developed is I'm not a 90 for 90 workbook. Over the last few years, I have uh, done a lot of work around strategy and training. And one of the things that I really noticed is um, people who work in business strategy, often um, we make things more complicated than it needs to be. So over the last little while, I've really looked at what is the really basic um, strategy that small businesses need that they can 
really see that exponential growth in their business. And part of that is is doing that in a way that we can be nimble. That is part of the joy of being a small business owner is when you see opportunities you're able to strike, when you really quickly realize things aren't going well, you're able to switch that up. So over the last um, probably year and a half, I created a training called 90 for 90, 90 minutes um, to, excuse me, 90 minutes to plan out the next 90 days in your business. I ran that live a number of times and really honed it down into exactly what people need. And then uh, what, I, what I've done is created um, a video where you can go to my website and you can download this video. And from there, you watch the video, you download the worksheet, and you work through the worksheet. And truly, in the end of an hour and a half that you do on your own time, you have got a plan for the next 90 days in your business that is going to help you execute that vision for 2020. I really encourage you to go and take a look at it um, because it really, um, it, it is so helpful. I run the 90 for 90 four times a year in my own business and regardless of where my clients are at when they start with me in terms of revenues or stage of business, this is where we start. I love this. Um, I love this training so much. And more than that, I am so committed to seeing women um, be all that they can be in 2020, that you can have that business that you've dreamed of, that gender equality is something that we can all achieve. And one way of doing that is making sure that every woman has economic prosperity. And so what I want to do is give this to you as something that you can run in your own business um, right now. So you can go to srl.solutions and you'll see the link on my main page and that will take you directly to uh, the video where you can where you can run this in your own business. So, and I guess, you know, really it's, it's really looking at, you know, why 90 days? Um, we can look at plans and visions for everything, but when it comes to making a plan, it should be 90 days and no longer. 90 days is a short amount of time that we can actually move forward with power and conviction. We can totally be clear on what we want to do and how we're going to get there. So when you chunk your action plan into 90 days, it's going to give you that clear and concise plan for your goals. So again, go and take a look at it. Um, I encourage you to, um, to, yeah, I encourage you to go to my website and run that in your own business, even if you've sort of think, well, I've got the vision for 2020. Great. Now what's the plan? In the meantime, I do want to say thank you again to Jennifer Ridgway for being here and sharing all of her amazing insights on what it's like um, to be a maker that becomes a business owner and what that transition was like. And also, you know, living for 25 years in the retail space is no easy feat. So I do want to say thank you for that. I also want to say thank you to you for listening and for um, and for sharing this podcast. I would love for you to subscribe wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Uh, just click that button, and I'll show up. Breakthrough will show up with a new guest each week. In uh, you know, on your phone, you don't even have to think about it. If you could write a review on iTunes in particular, that would be amazing. It does make a difference in terms of when people come to. A show like this and make that decision about whether they're going 
going to spend their time at it. On that, um, you know, please, if you are listening and you have hit that seven figures in your business, um, don't be shy. Reach out. Uh, I want to hear all the stories. I want to feature all of these stories. So send me an email, sarah at srl.solutions, and I would be happy to chat with you about being on the show. If you are on that path but you're not there quite yet, and you've got a mentor or someone that you look up to, whether you know them or don't know them, please reach out. I'm always looking for, uh, you know, who are the stories that we need to be featuring in 2020 on this show. And so, you know, I'd love to hear your suggestions. So finally, I do wish you um, a wonderful week. We'll be back again next week on Breakthrough. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for tuning in to Breakthrough. Be sure to join Sarah Roach Lewis again with another inspiring interview next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until we speak again, have a great week.